All right. Turn with me to Judges chapter 6. I've been telling you that I, I really preach to myself all the time, but I particularly felt like I heard the Lord say, uh, <laughs> you know, David says, uh, my soul, my soul, right? He talks to himself. Uh, he, he, he realizes sometimes you have to preach at yourself. And you have to remind yourself of what you know. And I know a lot of things, but uh, I just, you know, the Lord keeps teaching us. And I think, well, well, I already know that. Well, I know it, but I'm learning it in a new way too. You're learning what you already know in a deeper and more profound way. This is certainly the cycle of the life of Gideon that we see very much in front of us this morning. But it's true for all of us. And for whatever reason, I really heard the Lord say, I want you to spend uh, some weeks, two or three weeks on Gideon. And I want to remind you sort of what you know, but what you need to know. And uh, I've preached on this, I don't know, 10 years ago or something. I don't know, some other time in the past. But the Lord's like, I want to remind you. Uh, again, it's not new in one sense. On the other hand, it is new in this season. So if you remember the story, the uh, children of Israel is a starting out. That starts with verse 11 up there. But in the first 10 verses, uh, there's this quick story about how God turned over the children of Israel to the Midianites because they had drifted from the Lord into idolatry, all right? And they had got uh, involved in the idolatry of the Canaanites and other things. And so we talked about the Deuteronomic cycle. If you remember last week, if you were here, I did a, a very fancy chart. I mean, I was expecting the Vesha to write me letters, but that chart that I put up there, I mean, the technology, I mean, if you're using technology as good as I was using, as well as I was using, I thought people would really, but anyway, I'm sure they're all going to mention it. Uh, it was a profound circle with arrows on it, you remember. You can't expect that every week, though. All right, so, uh, so there's the Deuteronomic cycle where people are doing well, then they move away from God in good days as they're bad, and they turn to evil, and we turn to evil, get lax our boundaries, and open ourselves up to the flesh, the world, and the devil. Then God's judgment comes. God's judgment comes, and then things start to fall apart. And when things fall apart, we say, oh, Lord, where are you? And we, we, we run to God, and we run to God. God hears us, forgives us, and then we do well, and then we drip. And that's called the Deuteronomic cycle, and we talked about it last time. So that happened, and then the Lord sent a prophet that's not named. And then if you remember on the verse 11, uh, the angel comes to Gideon, and he calls him a mighty man of, uh, of, of valor. Even though Gideon is hiding in a wine press, uh, he has no particular spiritual insight. Can you imagine? I mean, do you know that God uses people powerfully who have no particular spiritual insight? If anything, Gideon is an example of someone who was slow on the uptake on spiritual things. And he was difficult. He lacked faith. We're going to see that this morning. To me, it's such an encouragement. I think there's hope for me. When I see these crazy people, I think there's hope for me. All right, Gideon reminds us there's hope for us. And the angel says to Gideon, O mighty man of valor, even though he has no apparent natural abilities, he has got no status, no particular education, he's not particularly bright, he has no particular spiritual uh, quickness or openness, he's not like this kid that was born with all this great faith, none of that. The only thing is, God says, I can see you at the beginning the way you are at the end because I'm not stuck in time. And that's the way God sees you. And what God's reminding me is that he sees me at the end, not at the middle. So Gideon, though, doubts. I don't know about you, but even when the Holy Spirit interacts with us and we have prophetic words and good things happen, 
some of us still have a hard time following being faithful. Gideon was that kind of guy. There's hope for us. So notice in verse uh, 17, now we're going to jump down. Uh, he says, oh, you know, the angel uh, said all these different things. Surely I'll be with you. He speaks to him, but he says, hey, how do I know you're not just a mirage? How do I know you're not just tricking me? And that's what's funny. You know, people come to church or they'll be in a meeting and the Holy Spirit will come on them powerfully, but when they go away, the devil says, oh, that wasn't real. You made it up. Then Gideon says to the angel, verse 17, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me, and I'm not just making this up or whatever else. Again, I used to think when I was young, oh, these stupid people, how could they? Now I'm like, I know how it is. I've tried to talk myself out of some things that God was doing. All right, then he says, well, don't, Gideon says, don't depart from me here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he, the angel said, the angel of the Lord says, I will wait until you come back. Now we get down to 19. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat. Listen, you don't go slaughter a young goat and gut them and cook them in just a couple minutes. Now I will say, you know, I'm kind of slow. Uh, it might take me 20 or 30 minutes to gut a deer, but a real hunter could do it about five minutes if you do it a lot. So, you know, he killed them real quick, guts them real quick. I mean, that would have been how he lived his life, so that wouldn't have been hard. But to cook him up, it would have taken an hour or so at least. All right, so he cooks him up, his favorite goat dish. Uh, maybe a little jerk goat or something, whatever. From, you know, I don't know what the spices were, but he cooks him up. That's got the, bo- the, the gravy, the boiling, the, the, the broth. Uh, and then he bakes him a bunch of flour. Hard work, representing lots of work to have an ephah of flour. It's like a, I think like a couple liters uh, in volume of flour. That's a lot. Uh, and for them, you know, they didn't have corn, I mean, you know, wheat and stuff the way we do to get the grain. I mean, that would have been a, represent a massive amount of work uh, in the cooking of that in terms of the harvesting and all the stuff. So not a little thing. So 19, so Gideon went in, prepared the young goat, the unleavened bread from the ephah, the flour. That meant the meat he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and he brought them out to him, the angel, under the terebinth tree and presented them. Now look, this is when it gets exciting. Then the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on the rock and pour the broth on. Not unlike Elijah, you know, put your sacrifice and then put all the water so you'll know it was God. You know, they just accidentally got, uh, uh, got inflamed here. Then the angel, Lord, verse 21, put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the leavened bread, and, but the fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat in the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. So, I mean, he sees this thing happen. The angel puts his staff in. All of a sudden, flames come up, consumes it, Holocaust offering, and then the angel disappears. That would be a faith builder, right? You had a radical encounter with God. You'll never forget. You'll always be faithful for the rest of your life. Right? I mean, that's pretty big. That's a pretty big deal. Now, Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord that had disappeared. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe you're sitting beside an, uh, 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 what's that, Eeyore. You remember Eeyore in Winnie the Pooh? I am miserable. Everything is bad. If it can go bad, all that stuff, right? 
I've had a little Eeyore, a little whiner in me, you know, and I, we got a couple other Eeyores in the church maybe, but, but I mean, it, God's working on us. Now, this is his thinking. The angel comes to me, he tells me this good news. I ask for a special uh, sign from him. I get the special sign, but now that I realize he's an angel of God, he's going to strike me dead because no one sees angel Lord lives. So he turns this incredible, powerful encounter with God through the angel into, I'm going to die. Do you know anyone who returns blessings and finds a cloud behind every sun ray? There are people like that. Now, I don't really mean, just since we're on video, I don't really think there's a demon called Eeyore, but I'm just telling you, might as well be. All right? There's people that, I mean, they'll turn anything in to something negative, even when God's trying to bless them and bless them and bless them. He's still working, thank goodness. All right, notice what the Lord says. Then the Lord said, and peace be with you, and do not fear, you shall not die. Because that's what he was saying. When he says, alas, I've seen the angel. He's not saying, alas, I've seen the angel, this is wonderful. He said, alas, I've seen the angel, now I'm going to die. The Lord says, peace, it's all right, peace, I'm going to be okay, I'm with you. I didn't call you to do all this other stuff to trick you into doing a sacrifice and then kill you. So, now listen, this is a beautiful thing. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. To this day, it's still an Oprah in the Abyssalites, however you say that. Now, in the ancient Near East and with the Jews, if you remember their history, they did something very beautiful. They would, when they encountered God, they would build an altar of remembrance so that when they came back through, they'd remember, oh, here's where God met me 20 years ago. You know, when God meets you, you think, oh, there's no way I could forget. John Carl was, I was talking to John Carl on WhatsApp at his hotel room. He said, oh, I feel like the Lord really spoke to me on the flight from Orlando, he said, up to uh, Newark. And I said, well, write it down because I said, the Lord's told me things and I'll think I could never forget it. It was so powerful. But I said, I can go to sleep and wake up and can't remember what he said. But at the time you think, I never could forget. So he's like, well, I'm too tired. I said, well, at least put your, do a voice memo. You know, I'm just, you, you, know you don't want to lose it. So in the ancient world, they'd, make an, they'd find stones, which again, not little work. They would put them all there, and they would make an altar of remembrance so that when they came back, they wouldn't forget. Some of you have prayer journals like that, where you've marked all these different things, what God has done through your kids and your marriage and your life, and you've got those things. I've got a good friend. He's got at least, uh, since he was 17 years of age, he has prayer journals. And I don't know if he goes through 30 year, 20 year, whatever. He has journals all the way through, and God will tell him, Go back into 1992 May on a certain date, and he'll open up, and, and he'll see, have what God told him, and it'll be what he needs now 20 years later or something. Some of you know Bishop Todd. That, that's what, you know, you go to his house, he's just got them all stacked. Uh, unfortunately, that's not how mine are. All right. 25. Now it came to pass, listen, if you don't destroy your false altars, you can't worship right. Part of the reason you're stuck and you haven't had a breakthrough is you haven't got rid of the idols of your parents and your grandparents. And that's why you're stuck. God is telling Gideon now, he says, you got a clean house. I can't tell you why Gideon's dad didn't. But Gideon's dad didn't. And Gideon could not move forward in his own spirituality until he cleaned up and dealt with the generational stuff. By the way, Thursday we're talking about that. More specifically in doctrine, etc. So it came to pass the same night, 25, that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old. He got two, a young one and then a full-grown a full one. 
and tear down the altar of Baal. Now, his dad was an Israelite. He had no business having an altar of Baal. That's what happens. Tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the woman wooden image that's beside it. Now, it was an Asherah pole. And not to be too specific, but let me use a big word, the Asherah poles were to a female goddess Asherah, and they were in the shape of a phallus. That's so the children won't know what I'm talking about. But that, very gross, but that's what they were. Big, like a totem pole type thing. All right. Tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the woman, wooden image that's beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the rock in the proper arrangement. He couldn't worship God on the rock until he had dealt with and destroyed the altars and the false worship of his parents. Some of us, we got saved and we tried to move on, but we didn't clean house and we're blocked. One of the things that has to happen, I mean, the Sims of God, you know, greenhouse them, they have a breakthrough service. When people get saved and they, they have a weekend, they have a breakthrough, and they basically try to help them out to get rid of the demonic strongholds that they grew up with and they dealt with in their families. And so they go through it all. In the early church, when you do a baptism, one of the extra prayers is, is you anoint the eyes and the ears. And because the idea is you have angels assigned to you for good, but there are demons assigned to block you from hearing and seeing. And so until like the night, until Vatican II in the Catholic Church and the Anglican churches, until that time and all the baptisms, they would pray that prayer. You know what? That prayer is a powerful prayer. When we baptize people today, if they're older, they're not infants, we pray for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit right then and there. Asking God to remove the blockages. Part of you are worship. You're, you're, you're struggling in your worship and hearing God. and It's because you haven't taken care of the idols of the family. we got to clean house. That's what, if we confess our sins, if we take corporate responsibility and we repent before God, God will hear us. This is a normal part of spirituality. It is in the Old Testament and it is in the New Testament. That is part of why Jesus became a curse for us. Okay, He shared on hanging on the cross... He joined our capacity to be cursed. He had no capacity to be cursed. There was no disobedience, no sin in him. But he allowed himself to die in a way where the Old Testament said, anyone that hangs on a tree is cursed. That was the only way for him to hang in that way that would allow him to share our estate, our condition of being cursed. He joined us and then broke it on the cross. Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that's beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the rock in the proper arrangement. Take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the word, the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men in the city too much, to do it by day, he did it by night. Can you imagine? God did not judge him for that. God's like, at least you're obedient. You don't have to be a hero, but you do have to be obedient. He's like, I'm afraid to do that. I mean, here God is with him. He's found that out on a one-on-one level. Now he's going to find out that on his family in his city with his family and extended family, that God will take care of him there too. He has to learn that if he's going to take on a nation and if he's going to lead a nation. So he's learning his faith and obedience are growing in cycles. 
But God tells him to do it, but he still does it by night. He believes, but there's a little doubt in him. Most of us understand. I sure understand and appreciate. All right. 28. What's the retaliation in the spirit world when you start tearing down idols and do the right thing? Everything's hunky-dory, or do things really get hot? Things really get hot. If you're doing something that matters, uh, it's going to get tougher. If you think, if your immature view of, the Christ, view of the Christian life is, if I'm doing the right thing, everything is easy, then you're smoking pot. That's a metaphor I trust. But in Gainesville, maybe I should be more careful with my illustration metaphors. Here's the deal. If you're doing right, God will be with you. He'll take care of you. But things get increased because you're on the right path. And the enemy does not want to let you free and to become the people. There's nothing more attractive to this world than men and women who love Jesus and love the world that Jesus died for. That's the most attractive thing in the world. The way we love each other in our marriages, with our children and our friends. When, when, when people really get a picture of Jesus and they live for Jesus, there's nothing more wonderful. And the enemy knows it. 32, 25, excuse me. Now, it came to pass that the, 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 oh, no, I'm jumping down, excuse me. Ha, 28. This is why I have 16. Apparently, I got to go to 18 font. All right. When the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was an altar of Baal torn down, and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar which had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. And the men of the city said to Joash, Now Joash's dad was compromised. He wasn't living right. But he says one of the most profound things, and he saves his son's life because he had a glimpse of wisdom, maybe because the spiritual and generational spirits had been addressed. Maybe that's why the father had a moment of clarity. We're not sure exactly why, but he does. The men of the city said to Joash, bring your son here that he may die because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? I mean, if, if Baal's strong and good, you don't need to defend him. He'll defend himself. Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by the morning. Saying, hey, Baal can take care of himself if he's real. If he is a god, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him Zerubbabel. Let Baal plead against him. Let Baal fight him. Let Baal contend, uh, contend against him. So that his nickname became Zerubbabel because he had torn down his Baal's altar. Now, 33, so the, the city turns against him, but he gets stopped because God's with him. And now the anointing, the Bible says in Hebrew, comes upon him like clothes. You can't see it in the New King James, but it's like clothes. Then all the Midianites and the Malachites, the demonic stirs up all the other people. Now you've got cousins and uncles and aunts complaining and all these people, that, all kind of crazy things. All hell breaks loose if you're trying to get free and follow the Lord Jesus Christ properly. Then all Midianites and all the Malachites and the people of the east gathered together and they stood and crossed over and encamped on the valley of Jezreel, the valley of contention and tears. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. In Hebrew, it's, it came upon Gideon like clothes. That's pretty nice. That's an armor, pretty worth having. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet. Now, earlier he said, I'll be with you, singular. Okay? You'll fight as one man, meaning you, the anointing will be in you, and it'll be enough for everything. 
The anointing that's on him calls a nation to battle. Same old guy, no spiritual insight, no particular gifts, no big deal, nobody, but God's with him. When he blows the trumpet, he awakens the nation. Why? Because the right guy's blowing the trumpet. Not everybody can blow the trumpet in a matter. But when God's anointed people call for the purpose, do the purpose they're called for, everything changes. Wonder what you've been called for, what trumpet you're supposed to be blowing. He blew the trumpet, and the Abizarites gathered behind him, and he sent messengers through all Manasseh and gathered, who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali. Those are tribes. And they came up to meet them. When you're following God, the enemy will surely attack in different ways. And God is teaching us. So how does this little part of the story end? The story ends with our man of valor. Uh, he's had all these things happen. He's got all the faith in the world except for now he starts to chicken out again. I appreciate that. I hope you do. I hope you can appreciate that now in the midst of all this, Gideon says, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I've stepped out too far. Maybe God's not going to back me up. So Gideon said to God, I need another sign. You're not supposed to ask for a sign, by the way, in the Bible. Why does Gideon get away? What's the difference between testing or tempting God, which is a sin, and what Gideon does? Well, there's no apparent difference just in the outside. But here's the heart difference. Some people say, God, if you really love me, then you heal my daughter. You do, and they give him a list, and they try to tell God what to do. Gideon wasn't doing that. The signs that Gideon want was to believe that God would love him. Gideon needed a sign to tell him he was okay, not that God was okay. All right? Some people say, well, well I, I was a Christian, and then God didn't, you know, my mother got sick, and he didn't, do, he didn't heal her, and so I left the faith. Okay, that's tempting God. You, you don't tell God what hoops to jump through. We ask him. It's amazing what he'll do, but we don't tell him. So Gideon's not telling God, you know, to do something in some way, make me rich or something. He just simply can't imagine God really wants to use him. And God in his kindness and his patience says, I'm there with you, I'll walk you through this. If you'll save Israel by my hand, as you said, look, I'll put a fleece of wood on the fleshing, wool on the threshing floor. If there's dew on the fleece only, and it's dry on the ground, then I shall know that you shall save Israel by my hand, as you said. And so it was. How about that? God said, okay, I see your heart, fair enough. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water, but it was dry on the ground. So now he asked for his sign. He's all happy, and he's going to be full of faith from here on in. Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on the ground. Now, I want to go back to this one piece. The idols of the Canaanites that Gideon had a clean house with are not that different from the idols today. One of the scholars that I read said this, uh, in our world today, this is a quote, even uh, if the names and structures are unfamiliar, the gods have not changed. For human nature has not changed. 
And these are the gods that humanity regularly recreates for itself. This is what they were looking for in the Canaanite gods. What does it want? If it's modest, it wants security and comfort and reasonable enjoyment. That's what they were seeking through the Canaanite gods. You see, with the God of Israel, they would submit themselves and obey God, and they didn't know where God was going to take them. They didn't like the uncertainty. They didn't like not knowing that they had to obey, and, and they had to, be, to do the right thing even when the people around them weren't. That is what it means to follow God. It's the God of uncertainty. The Jews knew God as a God of uncertainty. He was the God, and they were the servant. But the Canaanite God said, we'll give you the comfort and the, the demons, the comfort, the security. Uh, you can manage things. Everything can be within your control. But if you're ambitious, some of us are more greedy, uh, the gods promise power and wealth and unbridled self-indulgence. In every age, there are forces at work which promise to meet our desires. Political programs, economic theories, philosophical movements, entertainment, and all having one feature in common, that they are big enough to do things for us that we cannot do for ourselves. Yet at the same time, amenable to our manipulating them so as to get what we want. The Canaanite gods are not unlike the gods of wealth and materialism and all things. A life that we can manipulate and control to make it the way we want, rather than a life of uncertainty where we follow the Lord Jesus Christ because he is king of kings. He's Christ the king, the feast today. He's Christ the king. And therefore, he requires our obedience, our sacrifice, our lives, our devotion, because he died for us and he died for this world. And he surely expects to live in us and through us and for us to be a blessing. See, Christianity requires. Jesus is both Lord and servant. We know Jesus primarily in the Gospels under these two figures, Lord of all and servant of all. The Christian is never allowed to follow Jesus in his modeling of Lord of all. That is exclusive to Jesus because he is not only the perfect man, he is 100% God. We want to be Lord too. Lord is only for Jesus. The only way that we're allowed to follow the Lord Jesus Christ is as servant. The suffering servant, that's the model. Christ also suffered for you, leaving you example to fall in his steps. But that means uncertainty. It means that we can't control everything. We cannot always get our way. And some people, in the crucible of uncertainty in following Christ the King, would desert him. And believe me, I can look many days in which I, I didn't say, oh, I'm deserting God for, the, for convenience or whatever. But looking back, the flesh, the world, and the devil, I've been seduced at times and places to look for the things that would make me have comfort, security, and ease. And uh, what's his other one? He says, uh, he says uh, reasonable enjoyment. And then on my greedy days and coveted days, he says... We're looking for power and wealth and unbridled self-indulgence. That's not the life for the Christian. Some of us, we've got to tear down our father's idols and our own. Our worship has not been able to connect with heaven in the way it needs to and the way it's supposed to. There's nothing wrong with you, but if your idols are in the way, you'll never be able to worship God properly. You'll never be able to see. You never. You say, why do all these other people get words and this happens and Maybe you've never cleaned house. But there's also then, as Gideon had to learn, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, will we follow him 
in the testing of uncertainty. Will we take up our cross daily and say, our lives for His, because He gave His for us? That's a rough thing. And it's not something we can just answer at one time at a youth crusade or one experience with the Holy Spirit when we spoke in tongues. It is a decision that we make daily. And sometimes we have to make it multiple times a day. Lord Jesus, you're the king. Today, the feast is of Christ the king. And Lord, we love it. There's nothing objectionable in our minds, on our hearts about you being the king. But but our souls and our flesh betray us as we have chosen and I have chosen many times. With my mouth saying Christ the King, but in my attitudes looking for uh, the things that this world offers. Not trusting your provision, your care, and your direction. Uh, getting frustrated and resentful for the uncertainty of what it means to be your disciple. Lord, we thank you for your patience with Gideon. And yet, Lord, at the same time, we recognize if he hadn't obeyed you in tearing down his father's altars, probably his father as well as himself would have never been able to progress. So, Lord, we obey you imperfectly. We trust you imperfectly, but help us to see it, to repent. And then, Lord, we pray that you'd pour out your spirit. Lord, we long for the day we can say we're clothed not only in your righteousness, but by your spirit to serve this world that you died for and to be your light. Uh, Lord, in a dying generation. Lord, help us. Uh, forgive us for our fleshly appetites. Lord, we want to play it safe, and there is no safety with the Canaanite gods. Just like the Jews found out, uh, those who would seek in this world and its gods safety and security find misery, instability, scarcity, lack. Lord, this universe will not honor those who seek peace on any other terms but through Jesus. So, Lord, help us. Bless us. Strengthen us. Uh, Lord, give us, Lord, by your Spirit, the revelation of your great love, your great salvation, and help us to be more faithful in our adherence to you, Lord, uh, because you truly are the King. We pray these things in the most beautiful name, the most wonderful name, the most powerful name, the name of Jesus, and the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.